Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Well, I hope you had a great week and I'm so glad that you are here today. This week starts a... uh, a new journey for a lot of people. Um, this week for a lot of schools is back to school week. And we want to do something to recognize and honor. Uh, we have a Faith Christian Academy uh, here, K through 12 Academy and preschool here as well, actually. But, um, and so we want to do something. If you teach or administrate here at Faith Christian Academy, would you stand to your feet and make your way to this front, stand along this front? We just want to pray for you guys as we launch the school year. Amen. Go ahead and give them a hand. This academy is um, an incredible, amen. It's, it's an incredible extension of our church. Uh, God is using this academy to, uh, to expose people to encounter Jesus, which is why we exist as, a, as an organization. And so as they come, I also want to do this because we're getting ready to pray over this group but I also want to do this and, um, because there are a lot of you in, that are here and at our campuses that um, teach or, or in administration in public and private schools all over this city. And listen, um, we just believe that you are going into um, an important assignment from God, maybe, maybe more than ever. Your role in that situation is maybe more imperative and important than it's ever been. So if you teach or you administrate at any public or private school, would you also stand right where you are across our campuses? Would you stand? We're going to pray for you as well. Amen. And we do thank you for... We do thank you for everything that you mean for everything that you mean to, uh, to students. And um, uh, also at Michigan Street Campus, our preschool teachers are there in this service as well uh, on, in this moment of honor. And so we want to honor you guys as well. But um, here's what we're going to do for all of our FCA teachers and all of our teachers administrators from other schools. We just have a little gift for you as the school year starts. And it's a little mug. It just says this, you got this. And what we want you to know is this. On the other side, it's just got the, our Faith Assembly logo. We want you to know, your church family is praying for you all year long to be light in darkness and to be used of God in a special way. We're excited for how God's going to use you. Church, let's pray for these. And after we pray, we're going to get you guys these mugs. But church, would you stretch your hands towards uh, some of these teachers and let's pray for them and these administrators and these, these employees at public and private schools and here at Faith Christian Academy. Father, in Jesus' name, uh, we call out uh, just um, absolute Uh, the gift of God that's inside each one of these people. Father, thank you for the potential that you've placed in them. Thank you for the calling. And that's exactly what this is. This is an answer to a call, God, to help shape a future generation. We pray, God, that you would strengthen them. I pray, God, for you to undergird them, to encourage them. Lord, I'd come against any kind of fear or intrepidation going into the year. I'll come against any kind of anxiety. Lord, we just pray peace that we know 
that we know that we know that you have got your hand upon us, that you have put us in these positions for such a time as this. We thank you for using us. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church, we said amen. amen. Say, guys, stay standing until one of our ushers gets to you and hands you one of these mugs. God bless you, God bless you. Well, while they're doing that, uh, we have been in this series called Sound Doctrine. Before I jump into this, I want to make mention that this coming Sunday, one week from today, we have evangelist David Hall will be here in the service, all the way from Australia, and uh, he is, God's using him in a mighty way, so you don't want to miss it, Pastor Evangelist David Hall, next Sunday. And then we, 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 we was in the announcements a moment ago, but three weeks from today is that old school Sunday. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to already be praying about who to bring with you into that service. We're going to present the gospel in the, in the most best way we know how. Matter of fact, I'm going to preach a message that talks about the final exam. You know what the final exam is, right? When we stand before God and give an account for our life. And uh, I know that you know somebody that needs to be in that service three weeks from today. We are, I mean, it's, we're, we're looking full in all of our campuses already, but we, it's just going to be over the top stuff full of people. We're going to see a bunch of people give their hearts to Jesus that day, August 28th. So be praying about who God would have you bring uh, there in that service. And uh, of course, Pastor Jim welcomed the campuses a moment ago, but I want to also join that sentiment. Welcome, guys. So glad that everybody is joining in for this message on sound doctrine. Everybody say sound doctrine. Yes, uh, we want to know that we know. We want to understand the Word of God. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, you want to be a worker who rightly handles the Word of truth. This should be the goal for all of us, that we know how to dig in to Scripture, that we know what Scripture is saying to us. And I shared this text last week as a series text, kind of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, and I'm going to add verse 15 to it today. Ephesians 4 14 and 15. If you're taking notes today, you can find all of our scripture references and a spot for you to take some notes right there on the Faith Assembly app. I encourage you to do that, or you could take some notes uh, old school in honor of our service in a couple weeks and, and write them down. But I do encourage you, especially today with the content we're covering, take some notes. It'll be good. Ephesians 4 verse 14. Are you there? Say amen. amen. All right, then I'll wait because some of you aren't there yet. Or you just didn't feel like saying amen, which is not allowed. Amen. Uh, across all of our campuses, Ephesians 4.14. Are you there? Amen. amen. Here we go. It says, then we will no longer be like children forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or has cleverly lied to us on a TikTok post. Wait, I added that part. That's not in there. They've cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. I said last week, if there was ever a verse for 2022, that was it. The next verse says this in verse 15. Instead, mm, I like this, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times. I'm going to read that again. We will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. And the church said amen. And so become more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. This uh, lays such a great 
foundation for the need of doctrine, for the need of theology. Theology, another exciting Bible word that makes people jump out of their seats and run around the room. Theology, but theology is so important. Here's what the word theology means. It's just a combination of, of two Greek words, theos, which would be God, and then logos, which would be rational thought, or uh, logos would also be a written word. And so we go, what does our thought, what does the written word say about, um, about God? That's theology. And here's the thing about theology. Um, you have theology. I have uh, theology. Every, everybody has theology. Uh, Non-Christians have a theology, what they think about God. Um, atheists. Atheists have a theology. They have what they think of when they think about God. Matter of fact, I like what the author A.W. Tozer, the uh, amazing uh, Christian author, but he said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I gotta say that one more time. Powerful. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That would be theology. That's what we, we have as theology. And so um, Ephesians 4, I'm going to continue in Ephesians 4. We read 14 and 15. Let me go up to 17 and 18 of that same chapter as we look at this need for right thinking. Keep that in mind as we, as we look at these verses. Right thinking when it comes to our thoughts about God. It says, let me say this then, speaking for the Lord. Live no longer as the unsaved do, for they are blinded and confused. It's a mind problem. When someone is lost, when someone's running away from God, um, a, lot of people, lot, a lot of times we say it's, it's a heart problem, a hard heart, which is true, but it's not a physical heart problem. Like, it's not that, that the heart's not beats, an irregular, irregular heartbeat makes me go away from God. No, when the Bible speaks of a heart, it's still talking about a part of our mind. So we get blinded and confused. Their closed hearts are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds against him. Again, it's how we think. And they cannot understand his ways. They don't care anymore about right and wrong. They've given themselves over to impure ways. They stop at nothing, being driven by what? By their evil minds. Driven by how they think. Driven by their theology. Driven by their mindset. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's talking again here. Says this in verse 3. For though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5 says, we tear down, I like this, we tear down arguments and every presumption set up against what? The knowledge of God, theology. We, we tear down arguments and presumption against right, proper, sound doctrine, sound theology. Taking captive every thought, making it obedient to Christ. Here we go with, with Paul laying this appeal to Christians to, hey, make sure that you're thinking right. Make sure that you got your, your, your mind right when it comes to your thoughts about God, your thoughts about his word, theology, and doctrine. Uh, Proverbs says it this way, as a man thinks, so he is. And that is, that is so true. And while we have emotional experiences with God, we do. 
nothing wrong with that. God created us with emotions. I think God deals with us in our emotions. As a matter of fact, a moment ago when we were worshiping, I was having a bit of an emotional experience with God. Was anybody feeling it a little bit when we were worshiping? Yeah, nothing wrong with admitting that. I feel like some of you are like, are we allowed to? Yes. You're allowed to feel God, but what you're not allowed to do is to base your relationship with God on your feelings. That's where we get into trouble. When we, when we put our mind on the shelf and go, oh, it's God time, so I don't want to think anymore, I just want to feel. No, we still have to have our minds engaged in our relationship with God. We still have to be people who are learners as followers of Christ. We want to dive in to the word of God and know what the Bible is saying to us. That is a huge part of our, uh, of our pursuit after God because that is what's shaping our outlook. That's what's shaping our viewpoint. That's what's shaping uh, what is called our worldview. Now, when I talk about worldview, here's one of the things that popped into my brain this week when I was thinking about worldview. It's about 18 years ago, and me uh, and my wife, and then uh, Pastor Matt and his wife, and Pastor Daryl, who was also one of our youth pastors back then. So the three of us went to a youth pastors conference in LA. Great conference, and Pastor Matt and Pastor Daryl had never been to LA before. I had spent my middle school years in Southern California, so I could not wait to go and, and, uh, and kind of be their tour guide, even though I remembered very little about most of it, but I was excited because they had never been there. And one of the things I kept talking about is I kept talking about, oh my gosh, wait till you see the ocean uh, at, the, at the beaches in Southern California. I mean, they I mean, they make the Florida beaches look sad in comparison. I'm like, the waves are so massive in Southern California, like you won't even believe it. And so I'm talking weeks out, I was getting them pumped and hyped to see the amazing waves in Southern California. And I can still remember we finally get there and we had a free time as part of the conference. And so we went to the beach and I can remember all of us getting out of the SUV, all six of us. And I was like, I was out in front like a, like a kid at Christmas time, man. I was like, come on. I just couldn't wait to show them how massive these waves were going to be. And so as we're walking towards the beach, I'm like the first one that sees these little goofy, tiny, like just stumble little like barely nothing waves coming in. And I just, in that moment, I was like, Lord, how could you do this to me? Like, Lord, where are you? Like, what's going on? And uh, I almost wanted to turn around and be like, they're too big. We just need to go back to the car. Like... And so we get out there, and so they kind of mock me a little bit. They go stand out there, and they're just like, oh, I'm going to get drowned. I'm like. <laughs> but I realized something. I started thinking about it. I said, what happened? Why did the waves get so small? And then I remembered, wait a minute. Last time I was in these waves, I was like 10 <laughs> and 11 years old. Those waves were big to me back then because I was smaller. Like, isn't it, isn't it amazing how powerful perspective is, how powerful power paradigm is, that it'll cause you to process things in a different way when you're up here versus when you're down here, right? That's a worldview. It'll make you see things in a different way, and everybody has a worldview. I'd say it's kind of like this. It's like, it's like I have these glasses here that are a bit of a, a rose-colored tint, and when I put these on, I look fly. I know that, but I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> When I put these on, uh, 
you have a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different color. Like when, I, when I'm going here, like now it looks like everybody's got a little bit of a sunburn. Everybody has spent some time at the beach. Hopefully you stayed out of those huge Florida waves. But, uh, but then I go down and it changes. But then what can happen is I can take my rose-colored glasses, and these are a bit of a, more of a yellow tint, and I can put these on. And now, now it looks, everybody looks different than you did a second ago. It's weird because when I have these on, the, the, the color of your skin kind of looks a certain way. But then when I put these on, you look a little bit different. Like some of you, your, your shirts look a certain color when I'm here. But then when I, when I go here, now your shirts look a slightly different color. Here's the crazy part. None of you changed clothes. None of you did your skin change. What changed? The lens through which I saw you. It happens all the time. And everybody has a paradigm. As a matter of fact, I've seen it happen so many times that like it's a sporting events I've been at where one side of the fan base is from one team and the other side's from the other team and everybody's watching their kids play and some play will happen and everybody with these glasses on will be like, that was a foul, call it. And then everybody with these glasses are on going, that was not a foul at all, man. There was nothing that happened there. And both of them mean it with all of their hearts. But they're just looking at it through different lenses. I mean, how about, how about even today in service? Matter of fact, this, this happened in first service. That some people sitting through the same service get done with service and they go, man, what an incredible service, man. I love, they're preaching the truth and that's good. And man, what an incredible day. And then somebody else with these glasses on going, I don't even know if I should sit through this thing. I can't believe what they're sharing. Now we're sharing the same stuff on stage, but depending on which lens you're looking through, you either love it or not so much. And if you're not one or the other, then some of you are blue. And it's like a whole different, like I don't even have time to even, like, in other words, there's so many different perspectives. There's so many different viewpoints. And, and, and as a matter of fact, culture is working hard to shape your worldview. Watch this, social media has algorithms and they're trying to predict what you want to see so that you just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into your worldview. And it may not be the right worldview, but guess what? You're sinking right down into it more and more. And you think, man, everybody's thinking like this. No, they're just pumping that footage to you to help shape your worldview. And if it's true that society is working that hard to shape our worldview, then that means we as Christians better be intentional and deliberate about getting into the Word of God and possessing what we call a biblical worldview. That I process the things that I'm seeing around me. That my conversations, that my dealings with people are coming out of or coming through the lens of a biblical worldview worldview. Ron Nash in his book, Faith and Reason, this is how he defines a worldview. He says, a worldview is a conceptual scheme by which we consciously or unconsciously place or fit everything we believe and by which we interpret and judge reality. Your worldview is your ground floor assumptions about everything. Your worldview is your sum total of all of your beliefs about the world. It's the big picture and it dictates your daily decisions your daily actions, your daily engagements, it's dictating all of it. And somebody goes, that's why I don't have a worldview. I just see things as they are. I don't let people influence me. It's just not true. 
From the time that you were about one years old, you were your worldview was being established by everything that was going on around you. That's why we gotta work hard. That's why we would talk about some of these things and try to get the biblical, doctrinal, theologically sound viewpoints on some of this stuff because it's so important. There is a, uh, a test that Barna put together that's kind of a, a, to a gauge of, of worldview questions. And we're, I'm not gonna preach them all, but I just wanna walk through these very, very quickly and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. But uh, number one, do absolute moral truths exist? Two, is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Three, did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is, number four, is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Some of you are like, I have no problem with that one. Yes, because he's all up in my business. Uh, <laughs> number seven, does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ and with other people? Uh, number eight, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? So these are eight questions put together, and yes would be the answer to all of those from a biblical worldview. You say, well, that's easy. I hope it was easy for you, but it's not easy for everyone. As a matter of fact, they had pastors take surveys like this and came back that only 51% of pastors have a true biblical worldview. Uh, less than 10% of professing born-again Christians have a biblical worldview. Meaning like 9% go through a test like that and some of those questions they have, they have calls with and they go, well, I don't think that's actually truth. And so this is what's happening uh, among students. And I, again, I think our church and our students are, are way above these national averages, but 85% of church youth believe that what is right for one person in a given situation may not be right for another person in, in a different situation. That is a relative worldview. That is a humanistic worldview. And so here's the thing. Unless we are actively intent on conforming our worldview to scripture, unless we conform our worldview to scripture, what we will do is we will conform scripture to our worldview. And then somebody can be looking at even some truth in the word, but coming from a different worldview because they're just pulling this verse and just want to look at this. I'm not a student of the word of God. I don't really care what the whole uh, theology is, should be for my life. I just want to find this one verse and then I can see it say something different. Why? Because I'm looking at it through my worldview. That's why it's so important. That's why we're having these conversations. So I'm going to ask for our panel uh, to come and would you give them a hand as our incredible panel is coming to help me preach today. Yes, um, they're going to help me uh, preach this word today. And uh, we did uh, change out. Uh, Pastor Jason was with us last week from the uh, Red Bud Lake campus, and this week we have Pastor Stani from Mission Street Campus. Welcome to the panel today. Everybody Hi, give him a good hand. Love you. Amen. Uh, we're going to jump into some of these questions. I did, I did surprise them this morning with one opening question that uh, that we'll start with, but just quickly, favorite sport to play or watch? Uh, favorite sport to play would be golf. Okay. I love golf. Favorite sport to watch would be football. Favorite sport to watch, mixed martial arts. Okay. Even though that's not, you know, pure. <laughs> you, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, 100%. Uh, so my favorite sport would be tennis because we are in a series on doctrine and tennis is mentioned in the Bible. 
Genesis chapter 41, Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Thank you. What do you guys think? Lame. Yeah, pretty lame. All right. They sound like a laugh track. Like, yeah. they love it. They're just being kind at this point. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, all right, let's, we, we, we did take some questions last week, and we, we're, we, tried to, we were going to try to cover as many of them as we could, which would have meant very, very quick answers. Uh, and then as we started to develop some of this, some of these answers deserved you know, more time than just a, a quick sentence or two. And so um, we're gonna get to what we can today and then um, we're gonna work on uh, answering some of those questions in some other different context. So it might be in uh, personal conversations or it might be, uh, we might put together some sort of uh, audio podcast or something that you could listen to where we could kind of go deeper with some of these questions. So we'll keep you informed as we process through some of that stuff. We're gonna get to as many of them as we can. First question which did come in uh, from the text in, and it was also something we were praying about covering anyway because it's so much in, in culture right now. But what does the Bible say about abortion? Uh, and then it, uh, in some of the questions, it was listing some different circumstances in which whether, uh, whether how we feel about abortion would change in this circumstance or that circumstance. Um, and um, before, I, before I get in, I'll, I'll kind of launch with, with some of this. Um, I would say this, that we're not interested in bringing uh, a, a political uh, answer or political viewpoint or a, so, a particular party's viewpoint. We're not really bringing our own viewpoint. Um, the, the point of answering these questions is just to look at what Bible doctrine would say. Like yes. how would we build a, a worldview based on what the Bible says? And so um, that's, what we'll, that's what we'll look at in just a moment. And I think the first Bible doctrine that I would want to talk about when it comes to abortion would be this, that we believe in the doctrine of, of grace and mercy and forgiveness. So as we talk about what the Bible would, would say about abortion, um, I think it's important for us to, to, to make this clear that, that uh, if anyone has, has suffered through this experience in your life uh, and you have since uh, found forgiveness and, and found a relationship with God and uh, I would want you to, to know that there's no condemnation and that that is under the blood of Jesus Amen. and Amen. you need to know that, you do. Um, but as we move forward in, in life, um, here's what the word of God, this is some verses that Christians could look at to try to, to, to find a basis for this topic. Uh, I'd start with Psalms 139, verses 13 through 16. It says, for you created my inmost being, speaking to the Lord, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, again referring to in the womb, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. I think that, uh, that verse is important because as, as some would look at certain points of the uh, uh, pregnancy process and which trimester and how much whatever, um, it says that God's eyes were on, on us even when our body was unformed in the womb. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. 
Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Galatians, New Testament, 1.15 says, but when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. So if uh, through those looks into scripture, we can, we can dogmatically say that God would see life happening inside the womb, that that would be a person, that that would be a personality, that there would be a calling potentially there on that life. If that's true, which by Bible doctrine it is, then, then Exodus chapter 20 would also come into play as, as a way to build doctrine on this, and that would be thir- verse 13, you shall not murder. Because if God sees this, uh, this new life as, as a life and as a person, then, then Exodus 20, 13 would come into play. Now, one of the questions that came in was on the topic of, well, what about in instances of rape? Or what about in instances of, of, of um, incest? Then would, would something be you know, allowed biblically? Um, let, me, let me point out a statistic very quickly as we launch into that, answer that question. Just 1% of women obtain abortion because they were pregnant through rape. So that, that, that talking point gets brought into a lot of debates on this. Literally 1% of abortions happen as a result of rape. Less than a half percent happens as a result of incest. Um, though those numbers are minuscule, um, for somebody that's walking through that, Absolute devastation, uh, horrific, uh, should, never, should never be the case. And so uh, that goes without saying. None of us would understand what it's like to walk through that until, uh, until we have walked through it. But to say that in, then in that situation that the doctrine changes, to say that in that situation that now something that was wrong over here is now right over here, that goes back to relativism, doesn't it? It goes back to saying in this situation, something's right, but in this situation, the same thing is wrong. And, and, and that, that is a slippery slope. That's not what we, we believe in absolute moral truth. And so um, in, in moments like that is when Romans chapter eight is what would kick in, is that we would say, and we know that in all things, God works for good to those who, are, uh, who, are, who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And that would be the case. There are other options in those, in those circumstances other than abortion. Adoption uh, would, of course, be an option there. And so uh, that, that would be the biblical stance that, that we would find in, in that yeah. situation. So truth is truth in every context yeah. is what we believe. And um, a great question to ask yourself or to ask someone else that's, that's struggling with doctrine or trying to really submit to what the word of God says is this, uh, if God is really against, and then you can fill in the blank, you know, some type of behavior or uh, whatever, mindset, uh, would you agree with him? In other words, if God really wanted you to refrain from this, for example, would you agree to, to do that? And for some people, they would say, you know what, no matter what the biblical evidence shows, um, I'm going to put my own desires or my opinions over whatever God wants. And if that's the case, then we're not really having a discussion over doctrine. We're having a discussion over, over the will. And so it's so important that people understand that 
to really be a Christ follower, that means that you lay your own will down at the foot of the cross and you say, God, whatever your word says, whatever you tell me to do, I'm willing to submit to that. So that's when your doctrine and your faith actually living it out, they collide and it, and it just forms this biblical worldview that you're talking about. Yeah. So just, uh, yeah, amen. Yeah. Um, just real quick, uh, so I'm the youngest of, of five. My parents had uh, four children and then they didn't expect to have any more. That wasn't the plan. So uh, my mother tells, told me the story of when she found out that she was pregnant with me. Uh, she said she wasn't feeling well, went to the doctor and said, doc, I need you to check me out, see if I'm pregnant because I, I feel, I, I feel uh, like something's going on. He looked at her and said, I hope not, which was odd. So he goes and runs a test, comes back and says, yes, you are pregnant and you need to terminate that pregnancy immediately. Uh, you have been on antidepressants and anxiety medication and you're on birth control. So that child that you carry is not gonna have any kind of normal existence on this, uh, on, on this planet. So you need to terminate immediately. So my mother looked at him and believed in a God that turns all things around for the good of those so good. that love him. Amen. And she said, no, I'm going to have this baby. Amen. Yeah. And I'm glad she did not listen to that joker. Yeah. Amen. In no, that that's case. powerful. Yeah. Wow. Um, second question we'll, we'll hit on today would be this. Uh, what is Bible doctrine concerning drinking, uh, concerning um, other mind-altering activities? And, and what we'll do, we'll kind of lump in because some came in about drug use, some came in about alcohol, um, and we'll kind of put those together for these purposes because of both having similar effect maybe on our mind, on our self-control, on our inhibitions, that, that kind of thing. So we'll kind of just hit all those uh, within the one uh, doctrinal conversation here. But All right, um, so um, on this one, uh, the Word of God says in First Peter 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil uh, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The enemy has been devouring millions through substances for a long time. Uh, and uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus mentioned in Luke 21, 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. What's interesting is that uh, people uh, will, when they have anxieties in life, will turn to something and it only will bring more anxieties. Mm. And also in 1 Corinthians 6.10, it says, thieves, uh, thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then lastly, in 1 Peter 4.8, the word says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. So this is something that the enemy would love to get a hold of people and does just to have an open door so that he can start the destructing uh, process. Yeah. yeah, and I love that Peter is saying that's, you spent enough time doing that. You know, it, you were, you were uh, drunk and you were doing all, and he lists all those other, other sins. And so the Bible is very clear about drunkenness. I mean, there's, we, can, we can establish a doctrine based off of that like we should not, you know, get drunk. It's a sin to get drunk. The question comes in is like, uh, well, is it okay if I, if I have a sip of this every now and then? Or what if I don't get drunk, but I just drink? That's the, that's the uh, discussion that a lot of people wanna have. 
And uh, I, just, I just know that uh, this, this church's position and really the Assemblies of God's position on this is pretty clear. And I think if we get to the why behind it, it, it helps us. But uh, it is abstinence from alcohol because we don't wanna be controlled by anything other than the Spirit of God, Amen. right? So these things affect us and that's why we're willing to make uh, a sacrifice or a choice, even if you wanna call it a sacrifice, a choice to live uh, above reproach and take the standard, not at the very bottom, but to raise it pretty high, we're willing to give up those things that don't really matter to us. Why? So that we can make sure that we stay far away from that line or far away from that sin. And I think that's using wisdom. There's some things in life that you, know, you won't find specifically in the Bible, but you just have to ask yourself, is it a wise thing for me to do? And that's why we take that position. Yeah, throughout the entire Bible, you see people who are set apart for God. Um, you see like the, they took the Nazarite vow. They did so many things just to not really just like how close can I get to sin, but how close can I get to God? Um, yeah. Especially living in these last days, we have to be wise. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Guys, what is best for you? What is best for your family? Let me ask you, is addiction, does it run in your family? Um, does it, is it, did you have an uncle, a grandfather, a grandmother that struggled with substance abuse? Okay, why would you wanna bring that into your generation? Why would you wanna bring that into your family? Teach that. Um, let me challenge you with this also. After a long day or a long week, what do you turn to first? When you come home, and it's been so tough, when you come home right, do you turn first to a substance or do you turn first to the Holy Spirit? Amen. Because it can be pretty, pretty crazy if you start getting in the habit and turn to that before you turn to God. Your priorities may be off and you may be going down a slippery, post, a slippery path that was not your intention. I challenge you, seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. Yeah, I, I love the spirit of all this. Yeah. I love the spirit of all this because it's not coming from a place of legalism. It's not coming from a place of like, yes, you're automatically gonna go to hell if you do this or that. It's just coming from a place of, of, of wisdom. It's just like, yeah, but do, if I don't need that in my life and if it'll keep me away from ever, you know, from that moderation becoming a, a problem, which that's the problem with moderation is it means something different to everybody. And uh, so I um, wanna mention this Wednesday night, we actually have Teen Challenge will be here doing a service, uh, talking a lot about uh, coming out of addiction. So if you know of anybody that needs to be here, that would be great. Also, we have uh, uh, classes here, God in the 12 Steps, which deals with life controlling issues. And so you can look that up on our Grow Class uh, website. But yeah, great stuff, guys. Um, here's a, another question uh, that, that did come in and that we were kind of planning on talking about as well. Does the Bible say anything about pornography and what, what kind of doctrine could we, could we build out of that? Yeah, we did a little bit of research on, on this and uh, porn can actually be traced back to like AD 79, I think it is. Um, and there's evidence that it was even around, you know, back in, in the biblical days or whatever. So it's nothing new. Uh, I think just the way we access it now with the smartphones and all the devices, we, we have easy access, whereas to maybe before that wasn't the case, but it's been around. And Jesus, uh, when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it was, it was a great sermon, you should go back and read it. Um, but he talks about uh, different uh, laws and, and things that were written down 
For example, he talks about murder. He says, you've heard that it was said that you shouldn't murder, but I tell you, don't even uh, be angry at your brother, right? Or then he, he takes this portion. This is found in Matthew chapter five, verse 27. He says, you've heard that it was said that you should not commit adultery. And everybody knew that part. That was the physical act. Everybody knew that, yeah, I should not go through with this physical act because that's, that's against the law. But he takes it another step further, just like he did with the murder and, the, and uh, taking it up to the, to the angry or for, for anger. And he says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now you wanna talk about a moment where he's bringing clarity about something, that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Because he took the standard way up in that, in that time. And so maybe he doesn't address uh, pornography, but he's, he's addressed, addressing that lustful intent. And that's what pornography does. Um, you know, to look at a woman lustfully means a lingering look, not just looking, but to keep on looking uh, can be defined as to use someone as fuel for sinful sexual imagination. And that's what pornography trains our minds and our hearts to do is just that quick fix. And it's not really the type of love and, and sexual relationship that God intended. It perverts it, it distorts it. And uh, man, if you're struggling in this area, let me just encourage you. Uh, find victory and, and tell somebody, talk to your pastor, talk to a leader, somebody that can hold you accountable because it is so destructive and it happens, you know, one website at a time, one click at a time and you think it's not a big deal, but it is and God has called us to live a holy life and I believe that if God has called us to live a holy life, then we can actually accomplish that the through through his word. Yeah, Amen. Amen. Um, there is a CNN poll that revealed that 70% of Christian men and over 20% of Christian women already addicted to some sort of internet pornography. It is an issue that is affecting us, church. Um, uh, probably because of all the hours of screen time, we are always on our phone, and whether we plan to look at certain things or not, um, all these hours, uh, look at your screen time, um, we have formed our own separate realities. Um, and at the root of these fake communities and at this separate reality, um, it's this sexual issues. Sex is a complex neurochemical hormonal way to form attachments between a man um, and wife, between a husband and wife. So viewing and acting out on these images, it is forming these attachments to images and not real people. So it can develop so many problems, social problems. We start seeing people as um, only for their ability, ability to stimulate or to satisfy. It creates selfish desires between a husband and wife. It intrudes the marital bed. Um, it decreases body images. Um, it affects our minds. We can no longer see people. We see people as objects, not people made in the image of God. Um, it develops um, antisocial behavior, aggressive behavior. That's why abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse is on a rise. It's rampant like, like never before. Um, become, there's studies that it's way more addictive than cocaine even. It becomes compulsive. It is something, um, number one, and, and I just feel this in my heart, um, if this is something you struggle with, um, I no longer want you to be ashamed. I feel like the enemy tries to keep it in your head and your heart and at night and so no one sees what you're looking at. Let me tell you, there's freedom today. Amen. This is something that Amen. you can let go of today. 
Um, if you give it to the cross, we have, a, have so many people that I know have switched to a flip phone. You don't need to have an iPhone anymore. It is not worth your soul. Um, there's a lot of people in our youth ministry. It's like, no, I just have this. I can make a phone call, barely. But you know what? At least I know where my soul is going. Yeah. Um, let me leave you with this last quote from G. McDonnell. He says this. I believe pornography exists because we have a need for it. The reason pornography exists is that we live empty lives. The issue is intimacy, which is our greatest need, which comes through the love of Jesus Christ. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think one of the things that are just the most heartbreaking is just uh, the how it distorts and perverts God's beautiful picture that he created of husband and wife, uh, together in matrimony, and uh, it it distorts that whole uh, that whole God design, because uh, that sexual intimacy between a husband and and wife is supposed to be loving and respectful and honoring and selfless, and pornography just destroys yeah, all of that. Job 31.1 says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. And we've got to be people that commit to that same covenant of keeping our eyes pure uh, across the board and, uh, and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and what he wants to do in us. Yeah. And when you make that covenant, then you do whatever it takes to fulfill it, that vow to God. And so if that's having a conversation with your spouse, if it's getting... Uh, you know, some people in your life who can be accountable. We've had through the years have had several different um, guys, you know, sending, putting us on their accountability thing. And we get emails and screenshots of their phone randomly. And, uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, your pastor, but uh, it, it finds someone that you can be accountable and make that covenant and just go, this is, this is who I am. I'm gonna build my life on a biblical world, on doctrine when it comes Amen. to uh, sexuality. Amen. Why don't we do this? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all over uh, this campus and there at our campuses? And uh, as you do, one of the questions that we, we were gonna maybe try to get to is a question about, about spiritual warfare. And uh, listen, I, I think that there's a lot of teaching on spiritual warfare that is extra biblical. It doesn't necessarily even make it wrong. It's just, um, you know, there's a lot of authors that God kind of shows them things and um, aren't necessarily in the, in the Bible. And, and um, so with that, you, you, you would take some of that and leave some of that. But the Bible certainly does. The one area of spiritual warfare that I, that I do know that the Bible talks about is the war for your soul. That is why when we are talking about a, a society and a culture that's trying to shape your mind, this is, that's where the, the battle is happening. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6 says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. I mean, if it was seen enemies how that would change our approach, how that would change um, our strategy in battle. But no, they're, they're against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. In other words, there is a battle going on even right now that we can't see. It's in, 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 it's in the heavenlies, it's invisible, yet it's going on right now for your soul. Mighty powers in this dark world, evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's what's going on right now. And that's why you need a moment, that's why you need a moment of repentance, a moment of surrender to God, a moment of belief on Jesus because you in and of yourself, you are powerless in this battle. 
And maybe today God is speaking to you. I mean, we probably didn't even cover your particular bend towards sin, maybe your stronghold, the thing that you kind of struggle with the most. We didn't even cover it today, and yet you're still feeling God just drawing you. You're feeling something going on. It's not because the panel was good. I promise that. It's because God is speaking something into your life. God wants to forgive you. God wants to restore you. God wants to make things new in your life. And if you're, if you're under the sound of my voice today, today is that day. So with nobody looking around, I just want to give you a chance. I'm going to pray for you as we close this, this service out. But some of you, you, you need to make, make your life right with God. You need to believe on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. The fact that he died to take the punishment for your sin, that you can be in right relationship with your creator God. Wow, that's the gospel. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.